0: Christmas is in like a week and a couple of days, and it's, it's the same day every year, uh, but that doesn't seem to matter. It always sneaks up on us. Uh, it, it's always like we're going along, Christmas is coming, we know it, all of a sudden it's Christmas Eve and we're wondering when Walgreens closes, right? And you're, you go there and it's like husband row and you're just kind of, it's, it's just like Valentine's morning when you go to Hallmark store and it's all husbands picking through, right, and uh, but it, like, I don't like shopping early because there's too much choice. If you go at the last minute, it's like, here's what you're getting. They had 15 of these and you're getting slippers again. But, uh, it's, uh, when, it, that's not true at all. But, uh, because uh, I've been married for tw- almost 20 years and so it's not true at all. But, uh, but Christmas has a habit of sneaking up on us. Uh, just sometimes we have like a, a plan. Here's how things are going to go and sometimes our plans get interrupted. Uh, We are moving along and things are falling into place, and then all of a sudden there's a a big swerve or a sudden hard right turn where uh, it it just kind of Christmas turns up the heat on all the little things. If there's a little bit of dysfunction in your extended family, Christmas has a way, or uh, all holidays, but Christmas especially because you're going to have to be in the same room, uh, it has a way of of turning up the heat on all the little things. Uh, There's disappointment from unmet expectations. There's this hope and this dream of an event that doesn't come off the way you uh, thought it would be. You you had plans, and they're interrupted, Uh, sometimes by crisis, sometimes by people, sometimes by weather, sometimes by a car breaking down, sometimes by a bad quarter at your your job. And, And all this month, we're actually talking through the Christmas story out of the Bible and talking through the way that uh, I think the people in the Christmas story experienced that kind of interruption. And they weren't looking forward to Christmas. They were busy living it and, and like, starting Christmas. Uh, but they were uh, living their life in a way that they had hopes and dreams and plans uh, of things that they hoped would happen. And sometimes those plans are interrupted uh, by something that is God-ordained, uh, sometimes it's just a regular person interrupting things. Sometimes those uh, um, are really difficult. Sometimes we just kind of roll with the punches and we're okay with it. In all of this, the big challenge in at the Christmas season, I think that we're actually, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're actually able to live in a way that you don't have to understand the change in plans in order to trust God's purposes in your life. You don't have to understand the plan if you're able to trust, and I think you are able to trust, that God has purpose for your life. All right. Do you know what Jesus' last name was? Yeah, Christ. That's what everyone thinks, right? His middle name began with an H. But uh, there is, there's actually, in our culture, uh, Jesus' last name would have been Davidson. Uh, because he was from the line of David and so they would have had like and they did they did individual last names so it would have been Jesus bar Joseph you know but uh, so that would have been what people called him you know because it was who are you the son of right because you'd only have one kid you'd name all your kids different names of course right like you're not that George Foreman-ish but uh, but you would you would actually give your kids different names and so you'd be like this is Uh, you know, Jesus, the son of Joseph. But he comes from the line of David. And the Gospel of Matthew actually starts with this, with this lineup of the ancestry of uh, Jesus and Jesus's dad, Joseph. And Jesus actually had a grandpa named Jacob, Jacob Davidson. Any Davidsons here today? Uh, I just think that's a cool thing that if, because he was from the line of David Uh, and in our culture, in the Western world, we put that son on the end, right, like Jameson or Anderson and those kinds of things. Uh, Well, Davidson is one of the names, and so he was from the line of David, and so next time you want to swear, you can use that, you know. I'm not going to say those, but you can say, like, uh, Jesus Davidson, and people would be like, what's going on? Do you know someone? But Jesus had this grandpa named Jacob. In their culture, the J's would be said like a like a Y, and the Bs would sometimes be V or B. There's kind of a hard ending. Uh, And so he would have a a grandpa named uh, Yaakov, and then his uh, uh, dad, Joseph, would have been Yosef, right? And then Jesus, actually his name was uh, Joshua in their culture, and in the Greek language, we've changed it. And so the Bible translations, yada, 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 we call him Jesus. His friends actually called him Yeshua. Uh, And actually, uh, this is kind of a side note, Jesus was from the country, uh, and Jesus was like from the part of Israel like that we would call Alabama, and so Jesus, if you've ever, anybody lived in the South, like you can't understand. They don't use their tongues, right? Like, this kind of, and everything that ends in a vowel, they put an R on the end of that. Like open, dead door, winder. Like, you're like, <laughs> you're like I'm, I have no idea what's going on right now. I lived in Georgia, so it's like part of my mandate that I have to make fun of the next state over. And I'm sure they do the same, and they have plenty of reason. <laughs> I lived in rural foothills, Georgia, too, so it was awesome. Jesus, where he lived, they didn't actually pronounce the last words, uh, the last vowels. And so instead of calling Jesus Yeshua, there's a whole bunch of linguistic evidence that says Jesus was probably just called Yeshu. Uh, and that's what his friends would have called him. Uh, Jesus, nobody ever would have actually called him Jesus, which is kind of an interesting thing for him, but it's our language to understand that. Uh, Jesus' mom's name was Mary in our language, but it was probably closer to Miriam in, in their language, but maybe Maria, because maybe they didn't say the end of her name and those kinds of things. But Jesus had a real, like, uh, I think this is interesting because Jesus was a real, a real dude, a real guy. Like He grew up and he did stuff. If you're a young person, Jesus felt the things that you're feeling right now. Like, his his parents made him get up the night after the winter formal dance and go to synagogue. Well, that's not true, because synagogue was on Saturday. So he had to go to synagogue in the morning when he was trying to go out for his winter dance. And then, like, uh, although there weren't that many girls in the village, so the winter dance would have been kind of like with your cousins, but... Joseph is raised by this guy named Jacob, uh, and Joseph is a great, great guy. Uh, we know from the scripture he had a good job, like he was a, a tradesman. Uh, some Bibles say he was a carpenter, others say he may have been like a stonemason. Uh, he was involved. The next village over, there's some historical evidence that the next village over from where Jesus was, uh, grew up actually had a massive fire and burned down, and so Jesus and his dad Joseph and maybe even his grandpa Jacob, who probably had the same job if he was still alive, uh, actually probably went over there and helped rebuild the city. And so Jesus would get up in the morning and go with his dad and go over to the next town and, and help these people rebuild. And this was kind of his job. And, and most people lived very, very poor lives because the Roman Empire taxed so high. And so they probably rebuilt things for very little pay, but had relationships with the people in their village and the next village over. And so people knew who Joseph was. And he was, like, he wasn't a synagogue school all-star because then he would have become a rabbi. But he was good enough to be an upstanding member of society. He had a great job that he'd be able to do the rest of his life. Uh, he was well-respected in the community. Is the kind of, like, if you're a dad of daughters, you're looking for a Joseph. Uh, you're looking for a Joseph Davidson because <laughs> he's from the right family. You knew his parents, were good people in the culture, uh, in your village. He was a good guy. He loved the Lord and feared the Lord and just kind of wanted to... uh, You wanted, if your daughter was the right age, you wanted to have that family over for dinner. And so Joseph ended up falling in love, falling in love with a young woman named Mary or Miriam. And Mary was... Well, the Bible doesn't say this, but I think it has to be true. A stunner. <laughs> Jesus, it says, was plain in his appearance. Which, um, but if he was born of the Holy Spirit and Mary, then he probably looked like Mary. Uh, and so Jesus, uh, nobody ever thinks about this, but Jesus would have had to get all his DNA from Mary, right? Or from God, but his human flesh DNA would have all had to come from Mary because they didn't come from, from anywhere else. So he probably had some feminine features, Nobody thinks about this. Uh, Like, you want this rugged Jesus, and he was kind of like... But he had a beard, so don't, like, chill for a second, will you? But but this... uh, Joseph and Mary are so in love that they are betrothed. And betrothed in their culture uh, is this thing where you're committing to a dream... It's it's not like engagement here. Orthodox Jews will still do a betrothal today, but they usually do it like the same day as the wedding, because betrothal, breaking a betrothal, is actually like worse than breaking up a marriage. Like there there were harsher penalties for adultery in the betrothal stage than there were for after marriage stage. And so Joseph is living his life, and he meets this girl, and they fall in love. And if you know anybody who falls in love and is in that stage where they're about to be married, they start having these dreams of the future, unrealistic dreams of the future. <laughs> where we're gonna, I'm going to have this job, and we're going to build an extra room on the back of my parents' house. This is the culture, and now it's become the culture again. Uh, <laughs> and we're going to live here, and the families would have just kind of like buildings that expanded, and, and they're going to live here. We're going to raise our kid in this village, and it's such a great place. And we grew up here, and my kids will grow up here, and they'll know their great grandpas, or know their grandpas, sorry, and, and well, maybe their great grandpas and grandmas, and they'll they'll be a part of this great thing that that we're doing in this village of these people that we all love, and Jesus and er, sorry, and Joseph and Mary are hanging out together and talking about their plans and starting to decorate, you know, in a. You know, a stone house, poverty kind of old world way, <laughs> but they're starting to think of what's life going to be like, uh, and things change suddenly. If you have the, uh, if you have a smartphone and you have the U version app, you can go there and click on the little button down in the right hand corner and go to events. Uh, if, you, if you don't have a Bible app on your phone, version is the one that you want, uh, because we actually put events in there every single week with the Scripture. It'll also be on the screen for you. I'm actually going to use my smartphone today. Uh, this is what Matthew 1 tells us, and it'll be on the screen here. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother, Mary, was pledged, uh, which is just this Bible's word for what I just called betrothal, a pledge to be married to be Joseph. But before they came together, and that means exactly what you think it does, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Joseph and Mary have these dreams, have these plans, and there's a sudden and shocking interruption. And if you can, I know it's difficult because we know how the story ends. You know, they're away in a manger, a silent night, all those kinds of things. But in this moment, Mary actually hears that she's pregnant from an, uh, like uh, God tells her, and then she leaves to visit her relative Elizabeth and comes back. And when Joseph sees her, she's probably about four months pregnant. And so she walks into the world of Joseph being so excited that his fiance is coming back. His fiance is coming back from this extended time away. And maybe he was really focusing on working while she's gone, so when she gets back, look at how I've built the addition on my parents' little commune here, and we can this is where we're going to live." And she comes back, and she has to have a conversation, and he has to have a conversation. And there's a sudden interruption. And Joseph goes from being publicly admired to being uh, like publicly humiliated from being someone who like, oh, that guy, is his life is on track, to now when he would walk away, there'd be people who would say things under their breath about what's going on every day when he went to the market and got the things that they needed for that day. Joseph had this amazing, amazing plan, and all of a sudden it completely goes sideways. But, because Joseph was faithful, to the law, to the Old Testament that he lived under. And he didn't want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. If a woman whose betrothed shows up pregnant and the man says, it wasn't me, they actually uh, had several different punishments for that, all of which ended in death. Uh, There weren't exactly a lot of rights. Ended in death, actually, for the woman, and ended in death for whoever was responsible for impregnating the woman. And so when they say, well, it was God, uh, there's no rules for that. There's no laws for that. But it's also very, very confusing. And so Joseph loved her and had in mind to do a divorce with her just quietly because that's not my kid. Joseph, in their culture, so you know, if a father said, that's my son, that's, that's all it took to legally adopt a son or a daughter. Like that kid is mine if a man says that that's like that's the court document i said it because what you said mattered and so joseph actually has in mind i'm going to divorce her she can go back into her parents family and raise that kid and i'll be here in this apartment that i built on the back of my parents place and it's going to scar him for a long time it's an interrupted dream because he's been faithful to the law he loved god He didn't want to expose her because he also loved Mary. He didn't want to expose her to public disgrace. And so he's going to divorce her quietly. He's going to allow her to return to her family with her child and have her life. And Joseph is going to have his life. Because this sudden interruption, if you're reading in the Gospel of Matthew, there's this long genealogy, this person, this person, this person, this person. We end up at Joseph, who was married to, uh, who was married to Mary, and they had Jesus. But then the way the story is told is in this long line, in these plans, and this excitement, all of a sudden, there's a hard stop on that, where Joseph is suddenly faced with something that he didn't expect. I think this resonates because we've all I mean, this hasn't been our situation, but we've all had that emotion. I thought life was good, and suddenly you get that diagnosis, or you get that news, or you get that piece of paper, or you have that conversation, or there's that accident, or that person does that thing to you, and suddenly you know that this life will never be what I thought it was going to be. Your dream is suddenly and violently taken from you, not by something that you did. So Joseph re- reflects. He sits back. He develops his own plan. I'm going to divorce her quietly. That would be the good, uh, like, law, faithful thing to do. And I'm going to let her go. And then verse 20, uh, but after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Joseph Davidson. Joseph <laughs> Davidson. You thought I just made that junk up, but it's like in the Bible. Joseph Davidson. Uh, Don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived from her is from the Holy Spirit. and She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because it will save his people from their sins. Tell me, you're confused already as Joseph and then you have this dream, like an angel would be in their culture understood as a messenger. It's the same as God speaking to them. And so God actually speaks to them. Uh, which technically means Jesus speaks to them as well, which is just Trinitarianly awesome, and says, Joseph, let's not be afraid to take Mary as your wife because the baby she's going to have is actually from the Holy Spirit. I'm going to confirm what she's probably already told you. And you're going to name that baby Yeshua. And then I wonder if the angel spoke with an accent and said, you're going to name that baby Yeshu.'" And Joseph was like, oh, it's a country angel. But he could understand it. I hope so. In my mind, the angels aren't like English, (laughs) like they are in all the movies. Uh, But the angel speaks to us in languages that we understand. And so he said, you're going to name, and she will give birth to a son, and you're to give him the name Yeshu, because he will save his people from their sins. And even if Joseph has it all the way up to there, then he's told, hey, your kid's going to save the people from their sins. Wait a second. What? Could you imagine that? Like, we all brag about our kids, right? Like, my kid is generally awesome, right? And the problem is they know it. But there's uh, there's the a whole generation that knows it. But we we think our kids are fantastic. Like, they read a picture book, you know? And they're like, they read, right? And you're like, those words are like one syllable. It's not impressive, but... Uh, You know, like they walk poorly, but they're walking, right? But we're really over-impressed with our kids. And then Joseph's like, see, this is Yeshu. He will save the world from their sins. (laughs) That's, I mean, that's a little over the top. Especially when they already had a system. They had the temple system where they would offer sacrifices and that would be how they would be saved from their sins. And the people weren't looking for a savior to save them from their sins because they had a system to save them from their sins. What they wanted was someone to save them from the Roman Empire, from the oppressive regime that was keeping them in poverty and keeping their country from doing what they wanted. They wanted to get rid of like the puppet governors that were really appointed by the Caesar and they, they wanted freedom. And God actually says, I'm gonna give you actual freedom. Your kid's gonna save the world from their sins. And so there's this confusion as you can see. It's confusing because all of a sudden, Joseph's not just marrying a woman. He's marrying her kid, which is serious business, as much as it is today. And then he's not just marrying a woman who's having a kid. He's been told by God that he has to name that kid that's not his, which means adoption, like he will be the baby's father according to everyone around. This is Jesus' dad because he names him. And then your expectation is that your kid will someday save the world from their sins. And so Joseph, there is no chance that Joseph understood the change in plans, but he was able to move forward because he trusted God's purposes. So how do, we, how do we do that? How do we, like, we have this choice of, no way, we're not going with that. I had a plan. This plan is good. Like, this is even God's plan. Like, God had a plan in the Bible. This is how you deal with this kind of situation. I'm following God's plan. And yet God decides We're going to take a radical left turn, something that is a little bit different than just the old way, and we're going to do this over here. And it's honoring and loving and good. Like, it's not contradicting the Old Testament, it's fulfilling the Old Testament. And so the story continues. Can we go to the next slide? When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord commanded him, and he took Mary home as his wife. This is one of the coolest verses in the whole scripture. We just, like, walk over it. But Joseph was a man who did man things. When God told him, marry that single mom, he married that single mom. He took on that responsibility. He took his dream and he put it away because he trusted God's purposes. He took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son. And he gave him the name Yeshua. Joseph leans into doing these hard things. He does what the angel commands. He is faithful to Mary. Mary, when she gives birth, it's a virgin birth, and it still is a virgin birth. And he names this young boy the name that God gave him to name him. And so why is he able to do that? We want to say that he does that because Joseph is a good dude. Joseph is a good man. But that doesn't hold up because I've seen plenty of good men do something else. I've seen plenty of good guys do things that I wish good guys wouldn't do. We've all seen that. And so how does Joseph see this interruption as actually an opportunity? How does he change his perception of this thing? And I think I think there's three things. That Joseph is actually able to love God or obey God because he loved God. Joseph loved God, so he obeyed God. This story tells us that Joseph knew the Old Testament law. Like he followed it, he was faithful to it. He knew the faith that he was following and the religious system that he was following. Joseph then, this is important, recognized God's voice. When the angel of the Lord showed up to Joseph, Joseph is told, don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. He's not told, don't be afraid. A lot of times the angel's leading statement is, don't be afraid. Joseph is told, don't be afraid to do what I'm about to tell you. And so there is, you can infer, but this is reading into the text that Joseph knew the voice of God. There's a lot of times when people will say, God told me this, God told me that. And the question has to be, how do you know it's that God told you that? And it wasn't just like a feeling that you had. The people who are able to follow what God says actually know God's voice. It's just like when someone calls you in the old days when they would use used a telephone to call you. And you'd recognize the voice before it told you that the number. They would say, hello, they'd say, hello. And if it was someone that you loved, you'd recognize the voice right away. Joseph recognized the voice of God. But maybe by the words, maybe by the tone. Maybe angels had spoken to Joseph before. And then Joseph, so he knew the law, he knew the voice, And then he also knew his motivation, and his motivation was love. His motivation wasn't living a life without regrets. A lot of us have stories when we were young, we were going to do this, and then something happened, and then we went that way. And I've seen so many people spend their whole lives wondering, I wonder what it would have been like if I did that. And that never ends up making you feel better. Because you only ever think about the positive things. Oh, if I had done that, I bet you I'd be at this place and this place. Chances are you would have screwed that up just about as, as you're screwing this up. <laughs> not that we're screw-ups, but we tend to not be able to actualize all of our dreams. And so those dreams that we have to turn away from can become like baggage and anchors that hold us back from living into the thing that God has for us. And Joseph apparently just walks away from that and is able to walk into the thing that God has for him. We don't know a lot about Joseph in the Bible, but it never records Joseph going, man, I sure wish I didn't have to raise the Savior of the world. (laughs) There are places where Mary acts like that, (laughs) where Mary gets upset with Jesus' outlandish religious fervor. But Joseph doesn't appear. Some people think maybe Joseph has passed away by then, maybe he was at his work, who knows. So is this just a reframing of our mind? Like most self-help books say, just... Don't see interruptions as interruptions. See them as opportunities. And you just work hard at changing what your mental mind is. I I don't think that's enough. This is, uh, 1 John 5, 3 actually says this. This is Jesus' best friend. In fact, this is love for God. Keep his commands. A lot of people love God. Uh, Let me say this. A lot of people say they love God. What loving God is, is keeping all of his commands, is doing what he says to do, living the way that God says to live. So it's not just like a reframing of our mind. The change uh, for followers of Jesus from seeing interruptions as interruptions to seeing them as opportunities is actually, uh, it requires more than like plans and dreams and, and life. It's actually only possible by loving Jesus above all else. Because the thing that's going to be interrupted, the real question is, do you love this more than you love God's purposes for your life? Isn't that the real question? The disappointment that you're going to feel over Christmas, the real question is, do you love that more than you love the Jesus that this Christmas season is actually all about? Interruptions are opportunities because they ask us a question, and the question isn't, Like, how are you going to roll with this? Are you going to stay calm? Maybe rage is the right answer. (laughs) That's, of all of this, that's the quote you're going to pull out. Listen, James said rage is the right answer. (laughs) Sometimes it is. (laughs) But in that, the question isn't, are you mad or are you going to be calm? The question is, what is the number one priority and the number one love in your life? So the way to follow Jesus is to renew your actual love of Jesus. To worship Jesus. To be in prayer on your own with Jesus. To have times of solitude with just you and Jesus. The people that you love the most, you don't spend time with them just in large group settings for one hour on a a Sunday morning. You actually interact with them. You use a loving voice with them. You trust them with secrets that you don't trust anyone else with. You live with Jesus. It seems so basic, right? Like love Jesus and your life changes. But I feel like sometimes we need that reminder. Some of us have been following Jesus long enough that we've maybe become good at it. It's just like when you've seen people who have been married for so long, they become good at it, but they don't look like they love each other then you see people who've been following Jesus for a long time, and they just look like they're in love with Jesus. If there's just something of a Jesus that holds the front place of their heart that they can't get away from. And that place is a place that allows you to be the kind of person who's able to walk into those opportunities. Then, uh, actually give yourself some kind of a, of a reminder Like, you're going to face interruptions this week. Uh, You're going to. (laughs) Over the next two weeks, something's not going to work out the way that you wish it was. The present that your kids get you is going to (laughs) suck. The present that you thought was awesome, the person is not going to think it's as awesome as you did. (sighs) Or they're not going to get the joke. (laughs) Some of you already experienced that at your white elephant parties, but... You're referencing, <laughs> no, reframe, Sorry, not reference you're, you're reframing these interruptions to be able to spot opportunities. Joseph, if someone were still talking about Joseph Davidson, because he said yes to something that God asked him to do, which was not his dream, we're still talking about him because he raised Jesus. You know who taught Jesus how to like skip rocks? How to build stuff. How to not cry when you fall down. How it's okay to cry if you fall down. (laughs) You know who taught Jesus how to punch? And I know not everybody's, like, I just talked about Jesus having a feminine features, you know, but he also was a violent dude. (laughs) You know who taught Jesus how to take pain? Like pain on a cross? Joseph did. Because Joseph responded, "Yes, you and I are the benefactors." Because Jesus came to this earth and lived a perfect life, and died and rose again, so that what the incarnation, like what Christmas means for us, is eternal life, eternal relationship with the God who loves us just as much as He loves Jesus. Let's stand and pray together. Jesus, for those of us who in our hearts have grown cold, I want to pray that even in these moments that you would give us a fresh view of your love for us. I want to pray that in these moments you would give us a fresh understanding of who you are, of who you are to us, of your great love and affection for us, of your intimate desire to be in relationship with us. God, Let us be in love with Jesus. And some of us need to renew that. And today, we renew that. Cause us to pray that way right now in these moments. God, renew our hearts to you. And allow us to hear your voice, to obey your word and hear your voice so that we can live into the opportunities that you're going to give us this Christmas season so that our stories become stories of, I thought this was going to happen. And guess what the twist is that God created in this story? Because we don't want our stories to be, I had plans, I achieved. We want our stories to be, God had purposes, and I lived into them. If you give us nothing else, God, I pray that that's what you. I pray that that's what you would give us over these next two or three weeks. Allow us to live into the Christmas season, live into the Christmas holidays, in love with you, Jesus. By your name we pray. Amen.